When is the last time you listened to a podcast about web development, web design, and small business and didn't fall asleep? Yes, we cover web development, web design, and small business, but like actual human beings with personalities. If you're a beginner, we're not going to talk over your head. It's more like asking your buddy for help. We have guests, we have fun, and let me tell you, these two can get off on a tangent. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to HTML All The Things Podcast. This is Matt Lawrence and Mike Curran. That's right, everybody. We're back, and this is episode 114, Should You Open Source? I'm Matt, that's Mike, and this week will be... Well, this week... What? And this week, because Hacktoberfest <laughs> has just started? Come on, Mike. You're supposed to write... Supposed to well, write I mean, the, okay. And so this, this week... No, no, I'm going to be... I'm Matt, that's Mike, and this week, because Hacktoberfest has just started, <clears throat> we'll be talking about open source development. Does that actually make sense? That, that was a weird pacing. Sense. It does exactly. make sense, you but just, it's a bad yeah, you pacing. Just... You know what? I'm giving you a 2 out of 10. Would not recommend. Then, in the web news, <laughs> the Hacktoberfest controversy... There's a all right. I didn't even know there was a controversy. If this sounds interesting to you, which I don't think it probably will, and you want to support the show, you can go check us out on Patreon, leave a review or rating on your podcast app, join our join us on our Discord server, or share this with your friends. And now, time for our weekly pain points, Mike. Please, sir, take it away. You just ripped my entire intro. <laughs> just said it was not even interesting. I see how it is, Matt. I see how it is. Uh, weekly I pain points. I do apologize, actually. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> it's okay. Uh, weekly pain point this week is getting ready for a week off. So we're actually recording this uh, a week early because next week I'll be taking a week off, going to the cottage to decompress and avoid the burnout because I've just been feeling really tired. We, we kind of planned this vacation a while ago now. It's been probably a couple of months uh, since we booked the cottage. Um, yeah, it's much needed at this point because of all the crap going on in the world and the crap going on at work. Like, it's just been a lot of work, a lot of stuff going on, coronavirus, and I don't know. Starting to feel out of it a little bit. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, that's how I feel. Uh, so, just I, this week, I had to do a little bit more work, you know, get make sure that projects are closed off, make sure that we have stuff ready for a deployment that's happening next week. Um, I am still going to do a little bit of work while I'm out, uh, maybe j like mainly just like refactoring and formatting some code that's been bothering me and I just haven't had time to get to. Uh, but for the most part, I'll just be doing nothing, sitting in a cottage and looking at the fall leaves. Well, what about you, Matt? Uh, so this week, uh, this week is was hell, uh, to be honest, uh, my weekly pain point. <laughs> so I was working yesterday. And I heard like a, a really weird, like kind of metallic kind of ripping noise. And then like a bang and the bang was pretty loud, but it was so loud that I was like, oh, it must have been outside. No big deal. Whatever. Continue typing away. And I had a pretty bad headache at this time. So I decided like at one point I'm like, well, I'm going to go <clears throat> upstairs and just like relax. So I like step away from the computer and all of a sudden I'm like, is that like, is that like a glug, 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 glug sound? Like, what the fuck is that? And I have like a leak detector and it started going off and my phone started going off because it gets messages from the leak detector. And I was like, oh, shit. So I run into the back room and we had actually ordered a new water heater already. Like I already started the process of getting one. But our old one just decided at that exact moment to crap out and just start leaking everywhere. So we dealt with the leak, got all that fixed up. That was all fine. And then it was like in a big emergency because it was it was like Thursday at the time. So it was like, oh, my God, like, can we get another one? Whatever. The people that did it were nice enough to were nice enough to like put it in like the very next day, which was today. 
very uh you know they put it in in, a, in like a real big rush and now it's not heating so uh like i've been waiting i figured it was like oh it's a big tank it's going to take a long time to heat and then i like looked it up and it was like oh it should be heated in 30 to 40 minutes now whether that research is accurate i don't know but uh it's not hot at all and uh like that's not good and it's been running the whole time so like i can hear it like it's pretty loud actually i'm going to have to maybe get some sound foam or something but it's pretty loud, and it's just been running consistently this entire time. So I assume the heating element might be broken. So the whole thing might need to be replaced. I have no idea. I'm not a tech. But something's something's wrong. <laughs> and uh, so now we got it. Now, in the middle of this podcast, I may receive a phone call. You might hear that, or I might just mute myself, because i got to deal with that. And then i got to go to another podcast immediately after this one. And i still got to deal with, like, the tech and that. So this is going to be an interesting one. Uh... I'm already sweating my ass off, continue to sweat my ass off, and take cold showers, apparently. So, <laughs> this is that, that's been my day. I literally was up till 5 a.m. last night and got woken up at 8, and then was dealing with this off and on since, like, 8 and noon, because I did, I did fall back asleep for a bit, and then now, now we're here. <laughs> Sounds like a disaster. I, and you have a lot of freaking talking and stuff coming up. So, uh, yeah, good luck with that. I'm at that um, point where, like, you, like, you've reached, I've reached a state of anxiety, if that makes sense. And so, like, now my, my, my lower, my lowest point, like, when I'm sitting down and just kind of talking, like, I'm currently <laughs> at, like, normally I'm worried. Like, normally I'm worried and this is my level. Like, say this is, that's level five anxiety. That's now my resting anxiety. God. Now what? Now what's good about all this, to be fair, is like my leak, leak detector solution worked. I was told that that was a bad investment, and it absolutely was not. <laughs> Literally was not. So that ends that chapter. But I can hear that damn fan going, and it's slowly ticking that anxiety meter up. Like, what if that thing doesn't turn off? <laughs> Like, like you might be a person listening to this that might be like all about water heaters and know exactly what's going on. I do not. <laughs> I have no idea what's going on. So, like, like they were like the guy was like, "Hey, can you go like run the the water like the air out of the taps?" And like he was nice enough to explain it to me, but I was like, "What do you mean run the air? Like, what are you talking about?" He's like, "You got to open up the hot water valves." I was like, "The valves? Like, yes, <laughs> I know what that is." And he's like, "The valves? Like, go upstairs and like turn on the taps." Oh. Okay, so that's been me. Um, no fault of the company, to be clear. I think it's probably just a faulty part, if anything, because it's a brand new machine. But holy crap, has this been an adventure, and an adventure it shall continue to be. And I'm going to hand this off to you, Mike, before this call comes in, so please, sir, All right. Well, away. While you spiral into insanity, let's uh, continue on here and talk about some open source. So we got segment number one here. What is open source? And the reason I want to talk about open source uh, this week is because Hacktoberfest has just started and it's it's a good event and it, it's a yearly event where it kind of promotes the idea of open source and gets people involved in open source projects. And I'll talk about what's been going on because there has been a little bit of a controversy this this uh, past week at the, for the beginning of the event. Uh, but I'll talk about that in the web news. So for now, let's just tackle what is open source. So open source denotes that a software or code base is made freely available and can be used or modified for free. 
And if a project is open source, it means that it's available for the entire public to look at it and also to contribute to its code base. So it allows essentially, it allows the community of developers. And we've been talking about this community for a long time, but we've never really talked about the core of how the community can contribute and work together. And working together a lot of the time means that you're working on an open source project, which is available for anyone. So it's not just available for like a team, like it's not just you and a friend and that's open source. No, I, when they mean it's available for anyone, it's literally available for anyone, usually on a site like GitHub um, or uh, GitLab or Bitbucket, like those those can all contain a Git repos of open source projects, right? And it gives full transparency into what a project is doing inside of it. So it's like you can see what the, uh, you know, what the views look like. You can see what the backend functionality sometimes looks like. You can see how they're sending information back and forth. You can see how they're uh, laying stuff out, how they're doing responsive design. And it's a great resource for learning a lot of stuff because a lot of effort and time goes into creating a project. And usually when you're creating an open source project, uh, you have to put even more effort and time into it because you want it to be presentable. A lot of the time when you're just coding on your own, you're just kind of typing and you get some spaghetti goat out there that works and you're happy. But when you're open sourcing, like you know the world's going to be looking at it or potentially, obviously, just be, just because you put something out there doesn't mean the whole world's going to come in and be like, holy, what is this? Uh, no, it means that it, they could be looking at it. But uh, if you are going to be putting it out there, you're going to spend some time doing documentation. You're going to spend some time making your code readable. You're going to spend some time having some sort of standard for your code so that if someone were to contribute, they know what to do. Like, are you using vars or lets? Are you using uh, arrow functions or regular function notation? Like, you, you kind of put that into perspective and you could you put that in the front row, in the front row so that when someone does write a pull request for you, um, they know how to write it. And sometimes you can even tell them what formatter you're using or what linting setup you're, you have. You can add that to your repo so that it makes it a little bit easier for it. But I'll talk a little bit more in depth about the benefits of open source in the next segment right now. So segment number two, benefits of open source. Uh, so I've broken this down a little bit. So the first thing is, is like, why would, why would you open source your, your project? So why do open source? And this is a big one because... A lot of the time companies will be really confused about open source and be like, why are people giving so much for free? Because when you open source something, that means you're giving it for free, give or take. And something that I didn't mention uh, and I wanted to mention in the previous segment is the fact that there's a, a licensing aspect to open source. So just because you have an open source doesn't mean you get to do whatever you want with it. It's kind of like that, but there are a couple of different uh, types of licenses. There's a lot of licenses, but there's they kind of fall into these two categories. So one is copyleft, which allows the code to be used, modified, and shared, but the users must also open source their project. So that means if you uh, you know open source your project and have a copyleft type license, and someone were to use your project to create a, something, like build something on top of it or create their own proprietary stuff on it, uh, they couldn't close that and create proprietary code that no one else can see. They have to then create a sep fork your project, create a separate repo and open source that repo. Otherwise, it's violating your licensing and you can have legal action against them. Um, that one is less common. Like I, I've seen that one, but it's uh, it's not very common out there. Most of them are the second category, which is permissive. And this is kind of like a, you know, do whatever you want with it license. So again, it's allowed to be used, modified and shared. 
but also allows distribution and proprietary functionality to be built without the need to open source, which means that, again, this is uh, this is the other side of it where you can take someone's open source project, build some proprietary stuff in it, don't tell anyone that you built it and just close it and use it and sell it. Like you have full rights to do that. Um, you don't have to, you know, maintain it for free and stuff like that. It's it's all, it's all, it's kind of like do whatever the heck you want with it. This is your code. So most licenses I would say are permissive. Um, but again, going back to the topic uh, I was talking about, why would you open source your project? So it, it's kind of counterintuitive to a business, in my opinion, to think about opening your project up to the public to be able to use for free, even though you've put so much work into it. There, But there are many positives about doing that, even for a corporation, let alone for like an individual user. Uh, for instance, if the if the ability for people and companies to add their own integrations are really important to you and to be able to have a community of people working on something together, for instance, you have a dash, let's say you're creating a dashboard for your company, um, but you want to have that dashboard have like, you know, many components added to it. Maybe you want the want like some components to be able to, you know, integrate with different chatting applications. You want some components that can integrate to different calendars. You want the components that can integrate to and, and maybe analyze different types of analytics like you want a lot of features built into it it's really tough unless you have a lot of budget to build it out yourself but let's say you build out some core functionality and you build out great tools and great documentation and then you open source it and market it and bring in other developers that are just looking to you know create a dashboard or use a dashboard and they start doing the same thing and adding components onto it then you're essentially getting work for free you're providing something for, to them for free, but you're also getting something back for free. And that could really accelerate the development of your project and it can accelerate the development of complex stuff that your team might not even know about. And it could also bring in other companies. So let's say you have a dashboard that needs to integrate with something like Microsoft Teams. And a Microsoft Teams member of like the development team sees that and uh, responds and communicates with you and actually integrates it for open source because Microsoft the reason I said Microsoft is the fact that they are going a lot a lot of their smaller projects or even like some large projects are going open source VS code is open source right now for them and they they have other stuff that they're promoting open source with I believe they bought GitHub recently which is obviously a big proponent of open source and stuff like that so it, it is kind of a huge you know, conglomerate, but they are promoting open source. And there's a lot of reasons for, for them to do that. So if you're storing or using sensitive customer data and you want to be transparent with the customer that you have, that you know is privacy conscience, a, a lot of the time open sourcing it, open sourcing your project could give them that uh, safety or security that they need. Because what that allows people to do that are really self-conscious about their uh, privacy is go in and see how they're how you're using their data. Obviously, they're not like when you're open sourcing, you're not going to be open sourcing your database, right? You're not going to be throwing your database in a Git repo. That's not how it works. Uh, a lot of the times you're also might not be open sourcing some of your backend functionality about like encoding and decoding data or how you store data. You're not going to be uh, like open sourcing that because that's a security risk but how you're using that data yes open source that and when people see that you're using your using their data in very specific ways that you have already outlined that could really elevate that privacy concern and allow people to use your application knowing full well that their data is safe with you for the most part at least how you're using it 
So also it can increase your security. So it's on the same kind of topic because the more people looking at your code, the chance, the higher chance that they will find vulnerabilities and even help fix them. So a lot of the times when you're a small team and you're building a project and you're just trying to get something out there uh, and you think your code is all safe, it's, it's not like there's going to be some little thing that you didn't know about because you haven't been in the industry long enough or that you just didn't uh, think of stuff like that. But if you open source your project, you'll have, um, you know, potential of a bunch of people looking at it. And a lot of people like to do is look for security vulnerabilities, not not because they want to hack your stuff, but because they want to provide their either their services to you to help you fix them, or they just want to be a good you know developer and point it out to you so that you don't lose any information or that you don't leak anything and stuff like that. There are there are kind of two sides to this. A lot of the times, companies can also put bug bounties out there. Uh, on open source projects and be like, hey, if you find any vulnerabilities, we'll give you $500 or $1,000 or whatever for each one, depending on the severity. And that will also kind of help help you uh, close the gaps in your project without having to pay like a whole team of security developers just hammering away at it. So again, it's that like balance of, um, yes, you're giving some code away for free, but you're getting back a lot of value because you don't have to pay a bunch of people to test all your code. And you're also elevating the risk of all your information getting leaked and then having bad press or all your information getting leaked and then your admin accounts getting locked out and you having to rebuild portions of your database. Like there's a lot of things that could happen um, that you're not aware of because again, you don't have anyone else looking at your code. So Another thing is if you plan on investing in your community, it could provide a great way to make your code base cleaner and more extensible. That's another thing. And it could also rapidly increase development of complex systems. So I was already talking about that a little bit, but think about it. So uh, one one big thing that you need to think with this is just because you're saying that you're going to open source your project doesn't mean that's automatically going to make it an open source success. So Open sourcing is one thing, but you also have to market the fact that you're open. You also have to market the fact that you're available to, uh, you know, collaborate with to, for people to contribute to. Because again, there's millions and millions of projects out there on, on GitHub. How are they going to find your project? Like there's, there's really no, you know, marketplace for open source projects that automatically get added you've got to go out there and you've got to evangelize and you've got to do the the marketing required to get talented developers talented open source developers to help you out that's that's part of the process but the what you need to do to make that happen is also make your documentation really readable and and make make your code extensible like you can't write extremely poor code that's not readable if you're writing code that's readable, it's going to be a lot easier for a developer to come in there and help you fix it or help you, uh, you know, add functionality to it. So those are the kinds of trade-offs that you have to make. So I've heard, I've heard in some companies and some larger corporations that have chosen open source, they have to have a team that manages the open source side of it. So they have to have a team that manages the pull requests. They have to have a team that manages the refactoring to make sure that everything that the development team does is readable and goes into the standards of their open source guidelines. And then they they manage all their templates for their pull requests, for their issues and stuff like that. Like it is also an investment, but again, it's that calculated investment of, okay, am I going to put in, uh, you know, a certain amount of money and then get back and even, even more value and then get, like, get back some good loyalty from, from people. And because it's, it's, it's a balance, right? Like it's tough to, it's tough to quantify, uh, how much you're getting back when you're doing stuff like this. Because again, it, it could be that 
Um, yes, you get some development help, but you're also getting a lot of publicity because now that you've got the ball rolling and you got developers helping you, they're talking about it with their friends and they, you know their friends are talking and all of a sudden people are writing about you because you've open sourced a, a really important feature that people haven't been able to solve lately and stuff like that. So it's just, it's tough to quantify, but there are a lot of positives in open sourcing, 100%. And again, there's also ways to make money with open source projects. It's not just like, you know, you open source and it's free and you don't get anything back. There's absolutely ways that you can make money in open source projects. There's plenty of projects out there that make tons. Um, so for, for one, one of those ways is selling professional services to help adapt the project to any company that needs it. So if you have a dashboard uh, and a company would like to like you can create a web page for that dashboard that's open source and people can use it. They don't need to talk to you to use it. But if they want help to be able to take that and then brand it to their company and then, you know, adjust some of the components to fit their company's needs, they can hire your services because you're the owner of the project. You know how everything works. You're going to do it faster than any team that they're going to be able to hire. So that that is a, like a, a pretty successful business model, I would say. Um, another part is open sourcing only part of the project and having paid add-ons. So building a great core for people to be able to, you know, clone and use, but also having some really interesting integrations that you've made yourself or maybe APIs that connect to this core that you have, uh, that aren't open source, that are closed sourced, uh, that really work well and add a lot of functionality to this, to this code base. You can have those as paid add-ons. So now you're getting a wider audience because you're, again, it's like, it's kind of like a freemium option, I guess. Uh, so you're, you're allowing everyone to try it out and use it however they want. But if they want this, like, you know, more advanced functionality, more advanced code, more advanced uh, features, then they would have to pay you for either what, whatever contract you have. It would be a one-time or continual payments and stuff like that. Uh, you can have data storage and processing, right, for, for your open source projects. So one thing that I really like how Sanity.io does it, they've open sourced their entire front end, right? So their entire front end is open sourced. How like their, uh, their CMS builder like looks is fully open sourced, but they have, they, they handle all of the actual storage and, uh, data processing, right? So all of the actual storage that you put into it, like, so any, any of your CMS items, any of your posts, any of your images, they handle storing that and they charge you for that. So you can do whatever you want to the front end. You can take it, you can manipulate it, you can look at it to make sure that it's being, it's secure and it's, it's using the data properly, but you still have to pay them to be able to store any, like to be able to talk to and store anything that you want in your, uh, in, in their backend. So again, they're making money, but they're also being transparent with their code. And the, the last way, and there's other ways, like I'm not going to get into every single way, but another way is uh, donations. So a lot of the times open source developers have a link on there, like buy me a coffee or, you know, Patreon or something like that. That That's a viable way of making money, but it's, it's probably not like the, the best way. So another, another uh, the other section here is why contribute to open source? So we just talked about why would you open source your project? What about contributing to open source? So... If you're a new developer or even like a more seasoned developer and you just want to build your portfolio up, a great way to do that is contributing to open source projects to be able to find a project that needs, a, a, if you're a new developer that needs something small done, if you're a more seasoned developer that needs a significant contributor, a lot of the times projects will uh, in fact be like, hey, I'm, 
I can't contribute anymore or like the, the owner of the project himself would be like, hey, I can't keep this up anymore. This project has like thousands of uh, of users, but I, I really want to give it to someone that really wants to, you know, continue with it. And a lot of times they change hands so you can bring come in and take it over and help and stuff like that. So there's a lot of ways to help build your portfolio, help build your uh your expertise in that sense. So another thing is establishing connections and communications, right? So if you go out there and uh, start talking to these people that own the repositories and start putting in pull requests and start adding issues to to their projects, they're going to know who you are if you continually do it. And that's a really good connection to have because maybe this person that's been, you, you know, making this repository for years knows a bunch of people in the eight in in the industry and if you're if you need a job you can always reach out to them like there's nothing wrong with being like hey uh you know we've talked a while uh i'm looking for i'm like i'm looking for work right now or you know i have i have some time on my hands maybe you have some freelance projects you can throw me there's no there's no issue with asking people like telling people that you're available for work because in our industry it's pretty common that we need workers like it's tough to find good workers. So that is a very possible, possible thing that you can get to get a job. Um, another reason to co- contribute to open source is just learning the development process, how it works with teams. Because if you're kind of starting out on your own, you don't know how the world, like how the development environment works in a team. So if you're going to an agency, it's going to be very different. If you're going to a small app startup, it's going to be very different. What open source projects allow you to do is at least get a taste for that because as soon as you start you know following templates for issues as soon as you start contributing pull requests you're going to see that pushback of the the owner being like okay can you adjust this can you fix this and that's a very realistic to a team environment and having that under your belt will be a really good talking point probably in your interview interview process and maybe something you can even pull up in a, for a portfolio being like, hey, I've contributed a bunch of times to this project. We've had back and forth with this person uh, and I've kind of I've been able to conform to their guidelines. And that's, you know, to me, that's a really important thing. If you can conform to people's guidelines, that means that you can probably conform to ours. It's a one to one ratio. Um, and then the last and probably one of the more important reasons is creating a better web because or creating a better you know development environment for everyone. Because what open source allows you to do and is very unique to our industry, I guess, is contribute to the entire community as a whole and, you know, be able to see how everyone else is contributing. So it's a great, you know, quid pro quo for everyone. Cause if I'm, if I'm contributing and everyone else is contributing, we're just building a better code base. Cause if I find that vulnerability in the code and I have it in my open source project, that how, how to fix it and someone else sees it, they're building a more secure web. If I find a better way to sort some sort of uh, array and someone else sees it, they're going to build a faster, a faster way to sort an array. And it's just, it's just one of those interesting things about our industry where we're really like, very much involved in each other's lives, I guess, because, and I don't really know what it is about it, but it, it just, it's interesting. I don't know. I have a question now, actually. So like now that you've explained a bunch of stuff and whatever, I, I wanted to bring this up because I've heard this, I've heard this mentality in like, well, I didn't hear it in the nineties, but it was from like a nineties or maybe like a, an eighties video that I watched. And it was sort of like, uh, the I I can't remember like the name of the I don't even remember if it was a movie or a documentary or what the heck it was, but it was it was a look at Windows, like Microsoft, Apple, uh, with Mac, and then of course Linux, and 
the mentality was on the Linux side, if I'm remembering correctly, and I watched this in high school, was like, oh, open source is open source because software should be free and that like only the hardware should be the thing that you sell. And like that software is like, I can't remember what all their points were, but I remember that like that's something that stuck in my head. And I always thought to myself, I always thought, well, we have like a programming class, you know, at the time in high school, it's like, we have a programming class and, you know, some of those projects aren't, maybe they, maybe they're easy by today's standard, but by our experience standard, they were pretty difficult. Took a lot of time, you know, maybe like the big final project was pretty big, you know, stuff like that. And so I always thought to myself, it was a little strange that that was the mentality. And then that idea, um, that statement, like, which I've paraphrased clearly, uh, kind of came up again a few years ago. I can't remember where it was, Reddit post or something, Facebook post, who knows. But then I, I was just thinking to myself, like, are there people out there that just think that all software should be free? And I just don't quite get that because, like, I guess, and I am guessing, to be clear, I guess that maybe the mentality is like, oh, software is digital, it's virtual, it's not real. And therefore, you know, it, it should be free or it needs to be free because it's, you know, you're not really doing anything. And that kind of like ties into the older way of thinking, which would make sense in like 80s, early 90s. But like if you look at. If you look at something like. A game. Like we're talking, you know, Microsoft spent over 7 billion, right, on Bethesda. to, And that's just like a, that's a studio to make. Make, you know, new titles. They didn't. Like, as far as we know, they didn't buy Bethesda for their really great office space and the really great workstations they have at their desks. You know what I mean? Like, it was more so, we want this intellectual property. And so, like, really, like, software isn't free. So, I re- I understand that, obviously, software has changed radically in the past, you know, 10, 20 years. I understand that. But is that still a mentality in open source or was that always like and maybe you don't even know the answer to this mike but was that always something that was super super niche or maybe even one of the listeners right now like do you have that mentality where you think software should be free like apple gives you the software updates for example like is that where we're at but then like where does where does the revenue come from versus like, like the software wouldn't have reached the point it's at without it being paid for, in my opinion. Like if you look, like we use a lot of open source tools, they're great, like like we're using Audacity, right? But we're not using an open source uh, calling program right now to to conduct this interview with ourselves or podcast or whatever you want to call this video call. Like we're not using an open source piece of that, but we are using Audacity for the show, right, to edit and such. And so like that's, obviously important you know what i mean like i don't know where to stand on that like I, i've always like i think i think my stance on it is i've always disagreed with that stance of software like should needs to be and like you know because of open source will be free i just think that that that's nonsense personally yeah uh so yeah like i, I don't really have an answer to like f- your question about like before 
Um, but I know now I can give you my opinions on this, on this topic and the general opinions that I'm hearing around the industry, around me at least. Obviously, this is not going to represent the whole industry, but es- essentially for me, uh, I don't think software should be free across the board. Like, I think that's a ridiculous, ludicrous statement. Software shouldn't be the software being free all the time is kind of, you know, ludicrous, but a lot of the times it can be, and you can still make a good amount of money on it. So for instance, let's say you make the software free. Like, let's say, let's, let's bring zoom into it because we just mentioned like we're recording on, on zoom and we're using zoom and we're paying for zoom, Right. Zoom isn't free, like the version that we're buying isn't free. Um, and there's a good, really good reason for that because they have to do a lot of data processing. So if we're sending them information. They have to process it somehow and give it back to us. So that takes up compute power. That takes up, you know, a, a significant portion of servers, most likely. They have probably have a ton of servers doing this. Um, and that's not free. And I'm, I'm more than willing to pay for it. And then there's the other case where, you know, software like Photoshop that runs locally, right? And it's not free, but I'm also willing to pay for it because there's so much proprietary work done in there and it's so good at what it does. It's There's no real competitors to it that are actual competitors. Like GIMP is free, sure. It's open source alternative and it works great for a lot of things, but it can't compete with Photoshop because Photoshop has all those features. Like I don't think Photoshop should be free, Although there could be like there, I think there are free versions of it now. Like I think there is like a base version of it that's free, but like in a general sense, the complex features of it are really good. And a lot of time and money went into creating those features. So we're paying for it. Same thing with AutoCAD, like AutoCAD is not free and you have to pay for it. So I don't believe that software should be free across the board, but I think that having a free alternative to be able to do at least the baseline of work without jumping fully in gives a lot of advantages to the industry because like for instance if we didn't have an audacity or if we if we didn't have all like vs code wasn't free if audacity wasn't free if gimp wasn't free if if all like if we didn't have the base tools to even get started then i don't know if i would have jumped into development like i don't know if i would have like you know taken the plunge of paying hundreds of dollars to try it out I think having an ability to try something out for free with fully packaged and fully featured uh, solutions is a really big advantage. Now, what's the advantage to the company that's creating it for free? That's that's the thing that I was trying to talk about before of being like they're they're leveraging the the free status to either gain notoriety, to you know sell their services, to uh, you know sell add-ons, to sell processing, to sell storage, like. They're, they're using the software to a certain end. There's also the people that are just creating software because they want it to be good and free. Like they're, they're absolutely 100% is those kinds of people out there. Like I, I don't have any doubts in my mind. It's just, it, I think we have a good balance right now of it. I don't think that, I don't think the majority of people would agree with that statement of being, of saying that software should be free across the board, because I think that they know the inevitability of the fact that that means the software will be worse. Like, sure, it'll be free, but without the millions of dollars invested into it, it it will most likely be worse. You know, what's interesting about that, too, is the fact that you mentioned the cloud computing aspect. And that's interesting because back in the day, it made a lot of sense where it was like, you know, you bought like very much very like, and we've talked about this before, where back in the day, computing was very like new. And so you you went 
to a machine to compute something. It was very much like you go and do a business deal or you go and you, you like crunch some numbers on paper or, you know, whatever position you are, accountant through salesman through whatever. And then you would go to a computer and either, you know, additionally crunch those numbers or like write them up into a report or whatever. And you would leave computing at the desk. When you left, left like home, unless you had a computer at home, when you left like the office to go home, you left the computing space. Whereas today, the computing is in our pocket, it's on our wrists, it's in our glasses if you have smart glasses, it's in like everything. And a lot of it is cloud computed. So realistically, I mean, not, not that this is like justifying that position that I already like played out, but you kind of are paying for the hardware for most things like Photoshop, you're saying like runs locally, whatever they do have like the cloud storage though, you know, Adobe has the cloud storage, stuff like that. And now there's full industries built upon like solely digital. Like if there was an EMP that went across the planet and just knocked out every hard drive and every SSD and every bit of information to be like totally serious. The only remnants of like Mike and my company, and this goes for a lot of people, especially web agencies, obviously, is I think I have some business cards. One of our <laughs> clients printed out his website and gave me full scap of it. And then we're not going to get into that. And then um, uh, oh, you gave me like a card, a card holder with it engraved with our company name. That is literally the remnants of, of our company. Maybe the fact that my... Um, MBL, which is our master business license, which is a legal thing here in Canada. Um, maybe that because it's, it is printed out, although I'm not sure hundred percent where it is. So like, <laughs> like that, you know what I mean? So the industry and the world has literally changed. Yep. Uh, e- a worldwide EMP right now would be a disaster, which uh, I've heard is, is, and I'm no, expert in this i don't even know what expert this would be i've heard it's very possible and at any time from the sun so that's comforting a solar flare yeah apparently there was like some big thing in the 1800s where like it was like the light bulbs are blowing up except they couldn't do that i guess because their radios were down if they had radios i could see that i mean i could see it happening in the next 30 minutes of 2020 of how maybe that's what happened to my water heater like (laughs) (laughs) big big old solar flare anyway uh all right that was a cool little segue, uh, but let's move on to segment number three, how you can start contributing. So first thing first, uh, if you're just starting out in the industry um, or if you're just kind of, you know, just getting into it and you're don't, you don't feel comfortable enough to create a pull request, there's plenty of things you can do without creating a pull request and actually changing code. Uh, one thing is uh, finding issues. For with libraries and packages. So how this works is essentially when you're using a library or package, you're going to find something that doesn't work right. Or you're going to find something that just like if you had a configuration variable, it would make it a little bit easier. You can adjust it. Um, or you're going to find, you're going to find issues, maybe a spelling issue. I don't know. And if you go into their, the GitHub repo and you go into the issues tab, you can see all the issues are, that are listed there and you can see that there's a create an issue button. You can click on that. And a lot of the times what will happen is there'll be kind of a template for you on how to fill out your issue. So it'll be something like, you know, uh, let us know what the issue is, step-by-step procedure to reproduce it, and then give us a skeleton uh, repo of the issue. So, you know, create another 
another instance of that project and uh, show exactly like with, with without giving away your entire project because they don't want to see your all your code that's useless to them. Uh, create something very very small that only contains that issue and then you know submit it as a, a link for to uh, to the repo and that will give them enough information and enough and enough um, background to be able to reproduce and then fix it and then you'll get that credit of uh, submitting an issue and having it solved and it feels really good i had um i think those were the first things that i did in open source which was like i think a I submitted like seven or eight issues and had them all fixed. And I, you know, worked with a developer on how to reproduce it and helping them with like temporary, like how I temporarily fixed it. And that helped them eventually fix it themselves. So I didn't submit a pull request, but I did get them to the point where they fixed it and other people were able to take advantage of that. So that felt pretty good. Um, another thing, if you just, if you're just kind of coming from a, a good language background, at least, Go into the documentation and help update it. So sometimes a project has a great code base, but the documentation has mistakes or is outdated. So you can easily go in there and update the readme and submit a pull request with an updated readme. Now, don't go overboard. Don't be like, oh, this is missing a period and then submit a pull request because it's missing a period. That's not worth it. But if you see that there's some sort of misrepresentation from this version to an older version, then you can absolutely go in there and fix it in, in writing. It's not even coding, but it's a really good help because, again, another person comes in there, sees the updated documentation, and they're able to do exactly what they what they need to do. A lot of the times um, when you're in it, like when you're writing the code, you don't know what you need to document because you're so involved in it. And you're like, oh, I know exactly what all these extension functions do. And like, I know exactly how uh, how this is formulated and how to instantiate this. But when an outsider comes in, they're like, well how do I instantiate this? Like, what, what if I'm using yarn? What if I'm, what if I'm just want to use an, uh, uh, like a CDN? Like, I, I don't know what your CDN is. Why aren't you telling me or whatever? So you can go in there and if you figure it out yourself, how to do it, you can add it to the documentation. That'll help them. Um, and then again, you can, you can also start submitting pull requests and actually fixing issues. So how you would do this is you would fork the project, uh, fix whatever the the issue is in the code make sure that you're following their guidelines following their structure like don't again if they're naming their variables with camel case don't go and start putting capitals everywhere uh put the capitals in the right places put them uh, get it get it going solve solve the issue and submit the pull request and then see what happens a lot of the time they'll come back to you and be like hey can you adjust these couple things or these three things or whatever like they'll, they'll tell you what to do because they're happy to you know provide a little bit of feedback to get a bunch of work done for them that's a, it's an obviously good trade-off in the end um so definitely try to do that then there's creating your own open source projects and libraries with good documentation now obviously this is a big ask and this is a, a, a harder thing to do but it is a really good thing to have on your resume like i know a lot of places that when when you apply they'll ask you for your git repo even i did like i know the last two interviews i did i think i asked them for their git for their git repos i went to their projects and i looked at how they wrote the code now a lot of the times in there it's going to be like stuff that you wrote for a boot camp or something so it's going to be very generic but regardless i still get to see at least a little glimpse of what you're doing but if you have your own project that wasn't from a uh a boot camp and you build it yourself then i can really see what kind of developer you are are you are you writing sustainable code are you using all the newer technology that we're using could you learn to use those technologies that's all stuff that i could definitely get from your code bases and not only that if you have an open source project that has enough 
people and like enough stars or enough people involved with it that shows that you are like you know a promising developer that could be that could be a big thing for your career you could be getting like you know instead of getting your junior developer job you can get a medium job like you you know you can get a a regular developing job instead of getting an entry level one so open source projects can help you in many many different ways and uh, showing love for the open source community can actually get you some real brownie points for some for some companies because a lot of companies are really they want to support open source as much as they can sometimes they just don't have enough uh time to do it enough money to do it but a lot of companies do try to go out of their way to kind of contribute to open source by either you know fixing issues contributing like allowing their developers to contribute to issues on company time that's you know that's generous of them because they don't have to they can just be like hey can you just uh you know fix that don't submit any pull requests into the thing because we don't have time for it but sometimes they do allow you to do that so there's a lot of ways you can do it there's a lot of positives and negatives i I kind of outlined some of them there's obviously more uh but i just wanted to give a brief overview of that now unless matt you have any other uh talking points on this i can move on to the uh web news i'm very rudely eating pizza so i apologize because i haven't eaten just and i just disaster of a day over here i'm like (laughs) starting to swivel in my chair just because i have another i have another podcast coming up too so yeah that's perfectly that fine. Time. We're gonna be we're gonna be done real soon. Don't worry. No, there's no uh, rush. I'm I'm okay. Yeah. I've finished my pizza, but I'm still chewing. <laughs> Enjoy. Uh, so, I'm gonna move right on to the web news, which is the Hacktoberfest controversy of 2020. So, weirdly, for some reason, there was controversy this year. So it's been going on for a while. But um, let me just lay out what it is again. So Hacktoberfest is. A, a yearly event hosted by DigitalOcean that promotes the open source community by offering incentives for people to contribute to open source projects over the month of October, I guess. Um, essentially, if you complete four pull requests during the event, you will have an option to either receive a free t-shirt or plant a tree. So have them plant a tree. Obviously, it's not, they're not going to give you a tree that you have to plant. That's not how it works. Um <laughs> <laughs> like just let, let's just let's just send you one like tree yeah. seed that costs like a quarter of a penny and literally pay like quadruple or more in shipping to ship you one tree seed that may never see the dirt and actually like survive i was actually thinking the like logistically sending you like a, a, a sapling or an actual tree like having that no, global gonna, logistics like operation of you sending just get you the, send you a full tree like could you imagine internationally shipping a tree <laughs> No, I cannot imagine internationally <laughs> like, shipping. I, I can tree. imagine no, it on private transportation, like not too bad. Put it in, put it on the boat or whatever, and like water sure. it. But like regular transportation, it's literally like, okay, sir, here's my phone case. Now this is plastic. This is not titanium. Please get this to the destination. Yeah, no problem, bud. And the first thing he does is grab it and just pull both ends with like as hard as he possibly can, and like contort the box. And then when he gets it there, yeah. throws it on the floor, jumps on it, and then takes off. Welcome to yep. Currying, courier companies in freaking Canada. <laughs> I got a box one time. I, I'm just gonna, real brief. I got a box one time that was twisted like a corkscrew. A box! Like a fairly large <laughs> rectangular box twisted like a corkscrew. What did you do? Like, you had to, you had to literally think of that and be like, yeah, you know what? Screw this box in particular. And just, he corks, like somebody corkscrewed the box. It's like, that thing is now going to take up more shelf space. It's going to wobble. It's annoying as hell. Looks terrible. And like, God knows what the contents look like. Oh, man. So, 
sorry for the brief little side thing, but like, who corkscrew? Like, come on, guys. Should do a, more episodes when we're exhausted. I've seen. I've seen the deliver. Have you seen the delivery of a door where the door is like bent on a seventy-five degree angle and they just <laughs> delivered it like that? No. <laughs> it's like just delivering a door and they put it on their front porch and it's bent at the top on a 75 degree angle i don't even know how that's possible they, i feel like couriers couriers think like just any courier too i'm not even calling out as a particular one like couriers in general just think like oh i need to get this thing these atoms from point a to point b <laughs> and it doesn't matter <laughs> what arrangement these atoms like i'm gonna get the door <laughs> put it in the wood chipper put that in a ziplock like you know what i mean like but i got it there like it's like, come on, guys! Like, you had you had a courier hoofa hoofa package recently, right? Uh, right onto your front door. Yeah, I heard. Yeah, I was like sitting. I was just sitting around. I can't remember what it was now, but I can't. Remember but um, might have been my mouse. But I was like sitting around, like just watching TV. I think because it said it was going to arrive soon or something. <laughs> so like the the TV's beside the door. So like I was just sitting there watching TV, and all of a sudden I hear like boom, like against the door, and I was like, what the hell, what the hell happened? And then my phone lights up, and it's like package delivered. It's like what the hell, and so I go out there, and sure enough, there's a package just flat on the uh, flat on the concrete had been like whipped from God knows how far and like smashed into the door. <laughs> like why? My favorite because too is the- like I've had a I've had I've had a guy, okay, knock on the door, and I was at the door. I was actually like cleaning the the foyer or whatever, so I was at the door, and I opened the door as he was knocking, and I interrupted his knock. He looked at me. Dropped the package right in front of me, turned around and did like a backwards like wave and then just took off. And I was like, oh my God, you literally like you had to damage it just a little bit. Like you had to drop it. He dropped it right in front of me. Oh man, you going to war with uh, packaging companies is is awesome. Like what the, Uh, your, your, your incident with the power supply box. What was it? What, what? What? The person kept asking what it was. It was a PSU, power supply unit, or power <laughs> supply for a computer. And this person kept saying, "So is this like a power supply box?" And I can do a perfect <laughs> oh, yeah, impression. I, I, I can yeah. do a perfect impression of, of this person's voice, but I'm not going to. It's going to sound like I'm making fun of her, but that was legitimately her voice. I'm not going to do it, <laughs> right? But like that was legitimately her voice, and like. She's, she, well, the weird thing was, is like, she was super professional for everything. She got everything else right. The, the dates, packaging was nice. It like got there and all like, whatever. Okay. All the labels were good, but she like, she could not, like, she could not understand that it wasn't a power supply box. And I remember like, I ended up having to step in and I freaked out. Like she kept saying like, is this a power supply box? Like, no, no, this like, like you said it. Like, this was your package. This wasn't even my package. We we're trying to ship it out for RMA and you're, you're like, this is a power supply for a computer. Or you can just say a power supply, PSU, like, you know, you went through the thing. And then she <laughs> so kept she kept repeatedly asking. Box. She's like, is this like a power supply box? Like, what is this thing? What is this thing? I got a phone call. I'm sorry. It's okay. I'll go back to uh, I'll go back to the Hock- Hacktoberfest controversy. Okay. So, again, planting a tree or getting a t-shirt for full Pervocrest. All good. So, what happened this year is, on a large scale... People started to create pull requests for nothing, for useless garbage things like just absolute garbage. And they were either editing a single dot on a line, like I was saying before, don't do that. Adding one single comment to an obvious function, like if the function said next step, they were adding a comment called next step, 
Like they were literally copying the function name and adding a comment to it. Or, or they were even breaking code to add comments. So one, one example that I saw was someone putting a comment inside of a function call. So it literally broke the function, uh, because they put it in like in between the function being called. And the comment was useless, obviously, at that point, too. So they broke the code, submitted the pull request with broken code of just a comment. Like it just, it's ludicrous how useless that was. And, uh, yeah, that was kind of what was, that's what's been happening over the last week and people had to take measures. So GitHub, for instance, uh, a lot is now allowing admins to start like postponing when pull requests can be submitted. So be like, Hey, I want to snooze all, like don't allow any pull requests for a month because people were getting so pestered with it. Like if you had, if you had pull requests coming to your phone, you were just getting pull requests after pull requests after pull requests uh, for any of your open source projects because people were just trying to get the stupid free T-shirt. It's just a free T-shirt, guys. Like, it's not that big a deal. Uh, go go and actually submit actual useful pull requests. It's only four and you have a month to do it. It's not that – it's not a big deal. Just go and do it. But, again, uh, the community is as the community does. And they decided to take advantage of the situation to get a free T-shirt. I'm, I'm going to straight up and assume they weren't trying to plant trees. So, yeah, that was kind of the uh, the Hacktoberfest controversy, which was uh, really weird. And so far, it seems to have died down a little bit. But it was it was a good couple days on Twitter where <laughs> everyone was kind of submitting their images of the pull request they were receiving and really bad things. So if you want to check it out on Twitter, I think it's like Hacktoberfest controversy or something 2020 or Hacktoberfest 2020 tag. And you get to see a bunch of, uh, a bunch of these garbage pull requests that, that came in and I'm sure are still coming in. Cause even though like, I, I know DigitalOcean came out and said, Hey guys, please stop doing this. Like, you know, we'll, we'll send you a t-shirt or something. I don't know. They, I, I'm, they had some sort of measure that they wanted to take, but um, yeah, that's, that's kind of what happened. And the weird thing is that these kind these kinds of giveaways that have incentive based outcomes. So it's, you know, you do something to get the thing, uh, always bring out the worst in a community. I don't, and I, I really didn't expect this out of the developer community. I guess, I guess I was naive. Um, but I thought the developer community was a little bit more mature and a little bit more realistic like they, they were they were professional but i guess we've we've saturated to the point where we have these garbage um i don't want to say garbage people because who knows what the situation is but just these garbage decision making situations um and yeah it's just it's a weird it's a weird thing like um i don't know what why like why do you care about the free t-shirt so much that you can't go out there and just you know submit four actual pull requests for it like you need to get that free t-shirt and were people making the other thing that i'm guessing people were trying to do is just get as many of these free t-shirts as possible by making like a million github accounts and submitting like with a million different github accounts as many pull requests as they possibly could to get like 10 free t-shirts that said hacktoberfest it's just a weird concept to me so uh, yeah, I, that, that's kind of it. That was the Hacktoberfest controversy. Um, that wasn't huge, but, uh, it was enough to piss a lot of developers off. And again, GitHub did have to put in some measures to be able to allow them to stop, uh, stop getting pull requests because people's phones were getting blown up. The, the larger, obviously the larger open source projects were getting hit even harder just due to that, just due to the volume of, uh, the people looking at them. But even the smaller ones, apparently people that like, you know, submitted a like had, had a project up there for five years that didn't have any activity were getting some stupid pull requests that you know edited their documentation by one line or something so 
yeah, it was just it was just a weird uh, weird time. But uh, for sure, submit like you know, join Hacktoberfest. Uh, use all the knowledge that you've just gained from this podcast about open source to better yourself, better the development community using Hacktoberfest as an excuse. And then hopefully you'll carry over and uh, continue to pr- promote and support uh, open source projects. I know the company that I'm currently uh, working with, they're very much considering where we've kind of been developing this uh, interesting system. Like it kind of, I don't know if it's a dashboard. That's why I kept mentioning dashboard, but it's, it's more of like an administration panel uh, that controls the front end and the administration panel obviously has its own front end and they kind of talk to each other and brand each other and stuff like that. So uh, have, have back and forth communications. So we've been even considering open opening source that project uh, just to, you know, help the development community uh, maybe bring on some interesting, like good high quality open source developers to help us with the project. So yeah, that's, that's kind of where we're at. Um, I don't really have anything else to add to it. So yeah, I think Matt is, Matt will be back soon. So he's still not back. That's why I'm kind of delaying and hoping he comes back, but I'm guessing he got a call to uh, go do something with his water heater. So maybe I will start the conclusion right now. So um, thanks for listening. And uh, feel free to leave a comment or review on a platform you're listening to. Uh, And I want to thank all the Patreon sponsors. So I'm going to do this for the first time, I think. So remember, we're on Patreon at patreon.com slash HTML of things. So give that a go. Check out all the tiers. And many thanks to our $3 patrons, Sean from RabbitWorks JavaScript, Garrick from Local Path Computing and Web Design at localpathcomputing.com, Ryan Gatchel from Blue Black Digital, that's blueblackdigital.com, Chris from selfmadewebdesigner.com, Tim from The Web Hacker, DL Ford from dlford.io, and Bib Hashdash from Twitter at bib hashdash feel free uh to leave us a review and a comment again i said it twice so leave us two comments or reviews and uh, this exit thing will sign us off you've been listening to html all the things podcast web development web design and small business we hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from this show and we hope you appreciate that we talk to you like human beings and we hope you had some fun we'll be back soon but in the meantime hit us up on social media on facebook instagram and patreon at html all the things and on twitter at html everything until next time this is html all the things signing off.